Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you that uh, we are able to come together and we are able to praise and worship you in song and, um, and just coming together with fellow believers in one place um, to lift up our voices to you. Uh, Lord, I just ask that uh, you will bless this time that we do have together, that you will bless my words, that they will be your words um, that are spoken today, and that the message that uh, you intended to come across will glorify your name. And Lord, I ask it in your Son's holy name, in Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. A lot of familiar faces, some new faces too, which is great. Uh, if you all have been, well, let me first introduce myself, I guess. Um, if you are new here or if you haven't been here in the past when I've preached, uh, I'm a pastoral intern um, with Mercy Hill Church. Uh, my name is Brad Furkowski, and um, so I get the honor of bringing the Word of God to you today. And if you have been following along in our Bible reading plan, you will know that we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you do have your Bibles with you, or if you use an electronic device, feel free to turn there now. Again, it's uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll go ahead and read the Word of God. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that uh, you reveal your truths to us through it. Lord, I just ask that we will lean on those truths, that we will believe them, that we will firmly hold on to them, Lord, that we will not believe the lies. And Lord, again, I just ask you that, uh, that you'll bless this, this time that we do have together. Again, I ask it in your Lord's and your Son's holy name, in Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're in the book, the second letter to the Thessalonians, and um, as I said, if, if you've been following along, you know that we, were at, we went through the first chapter last week. When we start off here, we see Paul addressing the Thessalonian church once again. And it's a carryover from last week. We talked a lot last week, I believe, of the persecutions that the Thessalonians were, uh, were facing. And they were heavy persecutions, persecutions the likes of which most of us in this room have never experienced. Um, persecutions that I believe Matt spoke to last week that our brothers and sisters across the globe, across the world experience violent persecutions. So it would be understandable, or it could be understandable to know why Paul would use, or Paul would tell them, or try to encourage them that Christ would be returning. To give them some comfort in knowing what they were undertaking, what they were going through, there would be an end to that. But something happened along the way, and there was a message being given to them that was a lie. And we see that playing out here at the beginning. And he asks, when he says, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. You see, they were looking forward to the coming of the day of the Lord. But someone had counterfeited a letter. There was a counterfeit letter that was saying that it was from Paul. There was also spoken word, and there were people saying that a spirit had come to them and told them that Christ had already come. So they were, kind of like those TV series, they were left behind, or so they thought. So it would be, uh, it would be understandable to know why they were shaken in mind and alarmed. They found themselves in an unstable position. This happens often when we're dealing with lies or we're dealing with uh, uncertain situations. I would guess and assume that um, everyone can kind of identify with probably the last two years, two and a half years, maybe even almost three years, where there's been some uncertainty in our world, right? Um, it was an unstable situation. And we became, some of us may have became what Paul describes as shaken in mind or alarmed. So Paul goes to, goes to um, combat this false teaching, this false narrative that was set up that, that uh, the Lord had already come. And so he says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The rebellion. So here, there is a Greek word uh, for the, the Greek word that is being uh, translated to as rebellion is apostasia. And what apostasia means is a great falling away. So Paul is telling them Christ has not come yet because if Christ had already come, you would know this. It would be evident to you because there would have been a great falling away. And what I mean by that is there are going to be people that are going to identify as believers. 
There are going to be people that will be sitting in church with us that say that they know Christ and they are going to fall away, meaning they are going to walk away from the faith. This is going to be a dramatic event. This is not going to be something small. I think we, we get glimpses of this now, right? We see this sometimes where someone that claims to be a Christian musician or a Christian author, oftentimes they'll say they've walked away from the faith. They no longer believe. So we get these small glimpses of this now. But this is going to be a dramatic event prior to Christ's coming. It's going to be a dramatic falling away. It's going to be an apostasia. A, a, a large apostasy. This is where we get the English word apostasy. If I haven't already said that, that's where we get the English word is apostasy. And this, so what, the best way I can describe this to you and the best way that I can maybe give you a visual of what this would look like and when this takes place is if this rolls out and, and we're meeting for church service as this apostasy is happening and we walk into the building, 75% of the people may be gone. So that just gives you an idea of, of how great this falling away is going to be. These people that claim to be of us, but are not of us. And, and, and this is spoken to in other scriptures, right? We have seen this in other scriptures where Paul, where uh, I believe it's John that speaks to this falling away. It's a lie. It's a lie. So, the, so there's, a, there's an initial lie, right? So, as, so when Paul starts discussing with the Thessalonians what's taking place, the initial lie that they had bought into, that, sh that had shaken them, that had alarmed them, is that Christ had already come. Now there's another lie. So Paul tells them of the lie that they're dealing with right now, and now he's going to give them insight on the larger lie that is to come. And that larger lie is the Antichrist. So there's this falling away, and that falling away coincides with the coming of the Antichrist. And you read of him in this letter when Paul describes him as the man of lawlessness. He says, for that day will not come, Christ will not return, unless the rebellion comes first, the falling away, and that coincides with the man of lawlessness being revealed the son of destruction. This is the Antichrist. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. He is going to be so full of deception that he comes back and it says that he will, he will exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship and, and not just... Not just the Christian God, not the, not the one true God, right? Again, if I could give you a, an example or, or an image of what this may look like, he, he will come back and he will say things that we hear now. Religions are all the same. They all teach the same thing. And there's a large portion of our population, and I'm, this I'm sure is somewhat globally, is they will say they all end up in... They're all, they're all ultimately bad. And believe it or not, when we sit in these rooms and we look towards Christ, that's not always seen as a good thing. So he'll come back and he'll say, look at these, look at these gods that you worship. They're nothing. That's what he'll tell us. Not only that, 
But he will be, he comes, well, we will see here as we move along that he, he derives from Satan. And Satan masks as an angel of light, so he will be deceiving. He will deceive us. He will make it seem like he is good. Right? I think, I think often, and I, I know I need to tread lightly here. I think often the church has lost its way of discerning, or at least we have trouble doing so. And the reason I say that is, is, that, is that we are often shaken in mind, alarmed, unstable with current events. And, and, I, and I will say this, and, and I will not shy away from this because I genuinely believe it. But the godless institutions that are in place today, and when I say godless institutions, that includes mainstream media. If for one second we believe that godless institutions are going to promote our Christ against the Antichrist, we are deceived. So as we sit there and we look at the last two years, and as I say, I will tread lightly, there has been deception. There has been a cause for instability, instability within the church. We have been shaken in mind and we have been alarmed because we believe their truths above the truth. I say that as a warning. I know I typically shy away from prophetic words. <laughs> But I think it is something that needs to be said from the pulpit because we lean so heavily on these media sources. I talk to some people, they tell me, well, I don't really believe what the news tells me. But then they watch it over and over again. So, so how do you decipher between what you believe and what you don't believe? How do you know what 50% of the truth is they're telling you and 50% of the lie or 90% of the lie or 100% of the lie, which is more likely? So we need to adjust our discernment. So when the Antichrist comes back, because <laughs> some, some of you may have been sitting there thinking when I'm talking about this falling away and I said we would come to church and only 25% of us may remain and the other 75% may be gone, which is kind of hard to believe, right? So if you looked around this room, maybe only these two rows showed up. And I'm not just, I mean. <laughs> but maybe only those two rows showed up, right? And, and so... When we walk in and anybody is getting up here, getting ready to preach, they're probably going to be a little shook. Like, what is happening? Right? So when he comes and, he, and he's, he's casting these doubts about gods, he, he's, he's going to attack all the gods, right? But then he's going to attack the God, the one true God, our God. And it says that he exalts himself and that he takes his seat, yeah, takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So then he's going to, <laughs> he's going to deceive us in a way, or not us, but he's going to deceive in a way that is, he can provide, he can give safety, he can relieve all of your fears. What's your worst fear? He'll take care of it, because you know why? He's God. He's God. He knows all and can do all. This is the deception that he will bring. He does not. He does not know all. He cannot do all. 
but he will convince many that he is able to. There is some debate over whether this is going to be a physical temple that he will take his seat at, or whether it will just be a temple, meaning like the spiritual realm of, of God, right? So there's some debate there, but he will be prominent enough that we will recognize him. So Paul goes on, and, 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 and something about this, what's interesting is that obviously Paul has had these conversations with the Thessalonians. When he was among them, he had these conversations of the second coming of Christ. In the first letter of Thessalonians that we, we, we went through not long ago, over and over again, Paul reiterates the return of Christ. And he gives them some insight into what that's going to look like. And then again here in 2 Thessalonians, again and again, he's telling them Christ is returning. Christ is coming back. And he gives them insight. The interesting, interesting thing about this is that he gives them so much insight that some of it he doesn't even reveal to us, the readers of Scripture, as we read it today. He says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until, it is out of the, until he is out of the way. There's a lot of debate over what's being res the restraining, who's doing the restraining, <laughs> all that kind of thing. Some people think it's the church. Some people, there's just a lot of debate. So I'm not, I'm not diving into that because I can't firmly, be, firmly plant my feet on one side of the multiple phase debate or whatever you want to call it. But what I will say is that what we are being told here is that the Antichrist is currently being restrained, Right? There's something restraining him, and ultimately, God is sovereign, God is all-controlling, so ultimately, whatever it is, whatever mechanism that God has put in place to restrain him, it's still ultimately God that's in charge of that mechanism. So he is being restrained. But what we're told is the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So what does that mean? It means we see it today in action. We see the things that are going on in our world that, that should disturb us. Uh, I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day. And I was talking to him about, man, I'm going to touch on all the hard tough topics today, I guess. But um, I was talking to, him, talking to him about our great political system, and I say that sarcastically. And I said, you know, I said, you know what the interesting thing is? I was like, the one side will go so far to the extreme, right? And the other side will act like they're innocent, and then they'll come a little bit, and they'll say, okay, we're moderate, so we'll settle here, right? And I said they use, they use extremes to get the other side to move just a little bit. And I, we were talking about, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go here. We were talking about sexual perversions. And I said to him, I said, you know what's crazy is I was like, how, how even the church, how we, the wider body church, right, like, American church, 
has accepted and, and normalized some of these things. Because, like, if you think about it, like, when God talks of, uh, when he talks of sexual sin, it's not, sometimes we, we like, heterosexual sin, we'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll go away from. Like, premarital sex, you don't hear about that preached from the pulpit very much anymore, do you? It's not, it's not a subject that we touch upon. In fact, it may even be kind of somewhat encouraged or allowed, right? And maybe silently within the church. So I was telling him, I said, you know, over time, over time, we, we allowed that to be accepted, right? Or at least it was like, okay. Because I said, you know, there was a time when I, when, when I was in school, I remember... I said, uh, if, and, and I'm not, and let me preface this, I'll come back and I'll circle back around, so please don't kind of go with me, right? But there was a time when if a young lady that was a teenager would have been pregnant and came, and then like in high school, like there was some shame to that. And I told him, I was like, you know, there's, there's a positive to shame and there's a negative to shame, Right? Should she have been shunned? No. That is not how the church should have handled that. Is that what happened a lot of times? Yes, it was. But then the pendulum swung, right? And then, and then it became almost acceptable, right? And so then, and now, now you see that with, like, homosexuality. There are some churches now that before, it was like, we're not going to tread in this area, but now we're kind of moving to that area where it's acceptable. Lawlessness is already at work. So I said to him, I said, Mark, and here I'm going to go with the prophetic thing again. And I said, Mark my words. I said, within the next 10 years, if Christ doesn't return, which it'd be lovely if he did, I said, that there is a process of normalizing, and I'm sorry, I know there's kids in the room, so I'll try to be, but I said, there's a process of normalizing pedophilia right now. And he looked at me, and he goes, I don't even know what that means. What is that? And I said, I said, it is adults being able to be with children. And uh, he was like, really? I said, yeah. I said, you already see this movement happening. I said, you see the sexualization of children. And he goes, you really think this will happen within the next five, ten years? I said, no, what did I just tell you about the gradual process? I said, I'll tell you exactly how it's going to work. And I'll, now this, I don't know for certain this is exactly how it's going to work, but just to give you some idea of how it might work, right? Remember our awesome political system? So the far left is going to, excuse me, the one far extreme side <laughs> is going to say, this is okay. The other side is going to say, no, it's not. And they'll say, well... In fact, I'll tell you, I, there was a story I read not long ago where uh, with all of the immigration that's happening, there was an individual that came from a Middle Eastern country that had a child bride. And they said that, well, it's their culture, so we need to respect it. So if you don't think the work of lawlessness is happening, it's happening. And so anyways, I told him, I said, there'll be this gradual movement. It'll be, well, um, they're 16, when they're 16, they're able to drive, so that, maybe they should be able to vote, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, okay, 16, that's not bad. That's only two years, right? It's only two years, so... And then, well, they should be able to get in the military when they're 16. Then. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. We can get on board with you there. 
And so there's that gradual movement, right? And then it's like, well, well then what's, what's an adult legally? 16? Yeah, yeah, okay, we'll say 16. And do you see what I'm saying? It's an incremental movement. We think that, there, we think that the, one of these sides is better than the other. That's what we're given. That's what we're sold as a bill of goods, right, in this country? That one's better than the other, and we'll go to it. Some of us will almost go to war over this, right? Probably torn relationships and families, strained relationships. Can I tell you, there's an element of lawlessness among it all. Because we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the spirit and the age. And so that's just one example of, if you think these folks over here are really going to stop what's coming, the spirit of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's being restrained, though. So you see these things happening, right? And that's how I was kind of saying, you know, it's, it's a gradual thing. It's being restrained. What's it being restrained by? What's the, what's the, what's the ab, 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 anarchy? I can't think of the word. Abject. The, the all-on, all-force, sinful just hurricane. There was just a hurricane down the floor. The sinful hurricane is just going to be so overwhelming. Is being restrained. Like what I just gave you, like the, those thought, like like the information I just gave you. Like some of you like recoil, like oh man, wow, yeah, that's bad, right? But when when it is when the restraint is lifted, when there is no restraint, keeping some of that back keeping some of the sinful nature, and I just gave you one example. There's a lot more. I think, I think we're well aware that we see a lot of things happening in our world, in our culture. We, I think sometimes we think it's just in the United States, but I would encourage you to look and, and broaden your view of things that are going on because the same things that we see underworking here in the United States are happening in all westernized countries. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in Australia. If you, if you start peeling back the layers, you'll see it. So when all that is lifted, to think of how bad this is going to be, I think it's beyond words, right? These will be the signs, he tells us. These will be the signs, Paul tells us. The lawless one will then be revealed. For those of us that are believers, it will be blatantly obvious. For those of us that are genuine Believers that cling on to the truth and not the lie or the lies that are being told, it will be blatantly obvious. And all those things I just said, who do you think is going to claim to be able to solve it all? And they're going to come in and they'll say, well, he's going to come in and he's going to say, I'll keep you safe. You see how bad it is out there? I'll keep you safe. I'm God. I can control it all. Right? So in verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed. (laughs) But we have hope. We have hope. Who's coming? Who's coming? 
Who's to tell us? Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. There's two people coming, right? There's the Antichrist, the lie, the liar, the deceiver, and there's Jesus, the truth, the rock. As I referenced earlier in verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. So again, all of those things I was alluding to, he's going to show you these false signs and these wonders, the lies, the lies, the lies. In verse 10, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What separates them from us? What separates those who will be deceived from those who will not? The end of verse 10. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. What do we love? Do we love the truth? Do we genuinely, wholeheartedly love the truth? And when I say that, it means we love it. (laughs) We love him more than anything else. There's nothing in this world that we would rather have than be in the presence of our Lord and Savior. So God, in verse 11, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, the, so God allows them to have what they wanted, right? They, they, don't, <laughs> they don't want to be with him. Now, I'm always, I'm always interested when people talk about judgment. And I think to myself, if you have lived your life in a way that you don't want to be with God, why would you want to be with him afterwards? So that's what he says. He says, you know what? That you, don't want to, you don't want to know the truth. You want to believe the lie? Have it. And you're going to perish. They believed what was false. They did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. And I I don't know, unrighteousness, lawlessness, go hand in hand. I think I've pretty much made my point today of what that looks like. I think it'd be wise for all of us at times to take a moment and just kind of observe what we're pursuing in life and see if it aligns with the truth. So we go back and we, in in the initial lie that was told to the Thessalonians, the initial lie that Paul addresses in this chapter is the lie that Christ has already come, right? The initial lie is that Christ has come, the Thessalonians were left behind, and they're wondering what is going on, why are we still here if Christ has come? So, Paul gives them all the information about the coming of the Antichrist. He, he tells them, remember what I told you, right? And then he says, and then, <laughs> and then, 
Christ will return. So what does he tell them? So they were unstable. They were shaken in mind. They were alarmed by the news that Christ had already come and that they were left behind. So he, starting in verse 13, he starts showing them where their source of stability is. Where they can firmly plant their feet. He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of us in this room. Was it addressed to the Thessalonians at that time? Yes, it was. That was his specific audience. But we are his secondary audience. What is the source of stability? God. What does he call them? Brothers beloved by the Lord. We are loved by the Lord. Why? God chose us. God chose you. God chose you. It says, as the first fruits to be saved, that also means, when it's translated here as the first fruits in the ESV, depending on the translation that you have or that you read, it's from the beginning. From the beginning, God chose you. Is that not reassuring? God chose you to be saved. How is he doing this? What does this process look like? He is sanctifying us. Through sanctification, sometimes that's a, that's a big uh, can come off like a theological word, right? Some of you may be sitting there like, what does sanctification mean? Some of you are like, I got a pretty firm grasp of what sanctification is. But what sanctification is, is the ongoing process as we walk with Christ on this side of eternity, that he's shaping us, he's forming us to look like him, to look like his son. It's not an overnight thing. A lot of people think if I, if I walked to an aisle and I gave myself to the Lord, and this, it, there's more to it. There's more to it. You walk with him daily. It's not a one-time thing. It's a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute, second-to-second walk. You are with him. He is sanctifying you. He is shaping you. In some scriptures it says that he is pruning you. Pruning sounds like it hurts. It does sometimes. It does. To follow Christ, it's not a painless process. He's sanctifying us. How does he sanctify us? He gives us his spirit. His Holy Spirit lives within us. It battles the flesh. It's what exposes the things that the world accepts unabashedly. The spirit is what moves within us. He's sanctifying us because we believe in the truth. He called us. How did he call us? Through his gospel. Through his gospel. You know, it wasn't long ago that my stepdad passed away. Um, my, and, well, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. So my, my parents are, are practicing Catholics. So they believe in purgatory. So my mom was reading a book, and I don't think it was ill-intended. She just received a book that was talking about this process, right? 
And anyone that's knowledgeable of church history, and I'm not saying that I'm the most, I'm not, I'm not a church historian. I don't have a master's in it, so I'm not going to stand up here and act like I know it all. But if you know anything about church history and you know part of the reason that Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, part of the reason why he rose up and against some of the teachings of the church was that, that people were being told if they bought indulgences, they could buy their way out of purgatory. And purgatory was seen as a torturous place. For those of you that don't know, purgatory was a place between here and heaven or hell. But it was still a torturous place. It was being sold to them. If you put a coin in the coffer, you can release grandma or grandpa from purgatory. Or you can buy so much time for yourself out of purgatory. And I hate to use this word because it sounds cursing. It's a damnable heresy. So I'm having this conversation with, for the first time, you know, it's funny, for the first time in my life, I feel like I presented the gospel to somebody and it was my mom. Because it's seen as a cleansing process. You go to purgatory because you die and you still have sin. Yes. <laughs> Yes. But how are we cleansed? Do we need to be cleansed on the other side of eternity? Or are we cleansed on this side? Were we cleansed when Christ was hung on the cross? Nailed to the cross? Bled to death for us? That was the cleansing. He took it all. Every part of it. And so when you think about the fact that he has called us through the gospel, through the redemption of Christ, you are called. You are called through the gospel. Why are you called through the gospel? the end of verse 14, he says, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> good news. It's the good news. We will be glorified. We will be transformed to be like him. We will be glorified in him. It says at the end of chapter 1, it said, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. We will have new, glorified, resurrected bodies. So you read all that again, and what is it? What's our source of stability? God is. Why? Because we're loved by him. Why? Because he chose us from the beginning. And he's working through us, through our sanctification, with the Holy Spirit, because we believe in the truth, and he's called us through his gospel. And we respond to his gospel so that we can be glorified with him, with Christ Jesus for eternity. So he says all that, Paul, Paul says all this to the Thessalonians. So then he tells them, he encourages them, brothers, stand firm. He says, hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. How did this begin? How did this chapter begin? What was Paul addressing? He was addressing 
a false lie spoken word, a false lie letter from people that were trying to counterfeit and say, we're Paul, we're telling you Christ has already come. He's saying, no, 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 don't, don't listen. That's fake. That's false. It's a lie. Hang on to what we taught you. Stand firm in the traditions, which better uh, translated is teachings. Stand firm, hold to the teachings that we gave you, that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word when we were with you or by the letters that we have sent you. This is very important because this, when he says hold to the traditions, there is another, again, there are some denominations that hold, quote unquote, tradition and this, the scripture, the word of God, to the same, to the same standard. That is not true at all. The traditions that he's speaking of, the teachings that he is speaking of, are the apostolic teachings. These are the teachings that the disciples sat, the apostles sat with Christ, physically sat with him, physically interacted with him. I believe it's John who talks about how he touched him. Which always hits me, because I think to myself, like when we lose loved ones, we're not able to touch them anymore, physically interact with them. How we long for that. How John had to, when he was writing about how he touched him, how he had to have longed to touch him physically in that way. That's a complete sidebar. But the traditions, the teachings, they came from them. They came from Paul because of the interaction that was, was at Damascus Road where he had that interaction with Christ and he became an apostle. So we, I, you know, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the solas, sola scriptura. We must cling on to this. The word of God is our God is our stability, the word of God. He has given us. So stand firm, hold to the teachings that you were taught by us, either by a spoken word or by our letter. Paul ends the second chapter with a prayer. And he says, Now may our Lord, Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loved us, and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. We go from the beginning of this chapter seeing an instability, an unstable mind. We see these Thessalonians who are shaken and are alarmed. There are going to be times that in our life that we will feel shaken or alarmed. It's not going to necessarily be because someone has told us or tried to get us to believe a lie. It, there may be other circumstances. In those times, we must cling on to the truth. And the truth goes back to our source of stability. It goes back to God. It goes back to remembering that we are loved by him. It goes back to remembering that, that he did choose us. 
it goes back to remembering that he is sanctifying us, that his spirit lives within us. It goes back to remembering that we are called through the gospel and that we will obtain glory with Christ on the other side of eternity. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, not just temporary, eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word, meaning we take action. And the action that we take is established through him. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I just, I, again, I thank you for today. I thank you that uh, we were able to come together and to worship you in song and to read your word. Lord, I hope, I pray that my words honored you. Uh, Lord God, we look forward to your coming. Let us hold on to that truth. Recognize that there's no, no greater, no greater thing to aspire to or to look toward or to hope for than our being with you. Lord, when we have those moments where we feel shaken or alarmed or in despair, Let's cling to the eternal comfort that only you can supply. Oh God, for each and every one in this room, I ask that we see the truth. That we cling to the truth, that we come to the truth that is in you, that is in your Son, Christ Jesus. And I ask it in his holy name. Once again, in Christ's name.